Today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15 is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Another player weighs in on the likelihood of an imminent return to Major League Baseball, and we weigh in on a couple of pitchers on the rise. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have That's not cool. had the three go-throughs uh, yet. It works great in a fantasy. Three. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, April 20th. I'm Al Melchior, and with me here for this episode is Derek Van Riper. And DVR, on a recent episode, you and I talked about uh, watching, I think you watched uh, KBO Intrasquad games. I had watched some uh, actual games uh, from Taiwan. But there is a report from Yuji uh, Ho of the Yonhap News Agency that uh, KBO's uh, likely to start playing games for real sometime in May. So uh, maybe you can remind everybody, what is that uh, Twitter account that uh, everybody should be following so that we all get up to speed on who to watch in the KBO? Yeah, it's MyKBO on Twitter, and there's a website, MyKBO.net. It's run by Dan Kurtz. Uh, He's uh, able to translate the news that comes out of the league really effectively, and he does a, a great job of uh, letting everybody know when you can watch intra-squad games and live streams that are available. So he's just a very helpful, resourceful person and a great follow on Twitter. All right, so yeah, do check that out. That's uh, going to come in handy possibly sooner than later. It's not a an absolute uh, definitive timetable right now, but uh, it looks like we could very likely have uh, some Korean baseball uh, within a few weeks. So that is certainly uh, welcome news. And uh, we're going to get into a couple more player profiles uh, a little bit later on in the show. But before we do that, DVR, uh, I came across a piece in the, a piece in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette Uh, on Derek Holland, and one of the things that Derek Holland uh, talked about was how he feels that the uh, likelihood of Major League Baseball returning very soon is probably not that likely uh, for one reason that players are are understandably not at all uh, eager to be separated from their families. Uh, But rather than dig into that, and we've had a few stories like that. Mike Trout has made some similar comments. But uh, that got me thinking about Derek Holland because I actually did draft him in a couple of NL-only leagues. And just to be completely honest about it, it's not that I think that there's any, you know, anything special that I'm expecting from Derek Holland. It was really just a kind of a depth move in a very deep format. But I did look at his uh, stats and was reminded that as recently as two years ago, he had a really good season for the Giants. And the big change between 2018 and 2019, really the only thing that really stood out was the home runs. So I wonder, do you think that that's a good reason maybe to speculate on some players, uh, maybe just in deeper formats, but players who were largely the same in 2019 as they were in 2018, except for an increase in home runs? Yeah, I think it would at least be a way to generate a, a leaderboard that is worth exploring further. And by that, I just mean that there might be some pitchers who lost stuff in 2019 and 
that on top of the rabbit ball might have caused the home run rate to jump to uh, previously unreached levels. So uh, I think with Derek Holland in particular, if you look back at his 2018 season, the first thing I would have thought is, well, he pitched for the Giants, so he must have had good home splits and maybe he wasn't as good on the road. At least in terms of results, his ERA wasn't that much higher outside of Oracle Park. He had a 351 ERA at home, a 363 on the road. Uh, the big difference, though, in that season was the long ball. Five home runs allowed in San Francisco in 82 innings, 14 home runs allowed in 89 to third innings on the road. Uh, so there is a little bit of a home run issue that was there previously, and that may have been uh, exacerbated by the uh, rabbit ball that we saw a year ago. So I definitely think that's a skill worth kind of drilling down into a, a little bit further. Uh, I think I'm going to add that to the list of things that we'll talk about in a future episode because it just uh, struck me as uh, you know something intriguing where you could find some value uh, in some players where you could just take a you know a real cheap flyer on somebody and uh, you know in the case of Derek Holland, he he should again at minimum provide innings, uh, assuming there are innings to be provided. And uh, it appears that he's got a, a spot in the Pirates rotation locked up. And if we're talking about condensed season, then, you know, that just further, I think, cements his uh, his job security. Uh, if he was fifth on the depth chart, uh, you know, knowing that there's probably going to be six or seven starters on every team that, that get uh, a fair amount of run. So anyways, something to think about. I think we'll revisit this on a show uh, coming up. But let's get to a couple other pitchers who are certainly – drawing a lot more interest in uh, 12 team mixed leagues, not to mention some deeper formats. And these are pitchers DVR that we referenced on Friday's episode. We talked about our respective out of the park SIM teams. Uh, you are managing the Padres. I am uh, uh, the, uh, the skipper. I, I never have an excuse to use that word. I'm the skipper <laughs> of the, uh, the Astros and the GM. Uh, so, but we've got a couple of, of pitchers, uh, a pitcher for each of us that's got now, as of the most recent sim run, now ERAs above seven for both of these pitchers. Seems very unlikely that they would sustain that over the longer haul. In my case, it's Jose Urquidy. In your case, it's Denelson Lamette. So I thought we'd take a, a deeper uh, dig into both of these pitchers. And I, I really sort of wanted to do this on Friday's episode because. I had expressed concern about Urquidy as well as Josh James. James has rebounded a little bit, whereas Urquidy has gotten worse uh, in the sim. But you said, you know, you, that's not a pitcher that you thought you would worry about. And I was a little bit nervous. I thought, okay, I need to do a deeper dive here. So one thing about Jose Urquidy that is you know worth noting is that he really wasn't anywhere as prominently on the radar prior to 2019 than he was last year, uh, his rookie season. And his velocity jumped somewhere between two and three miles an hour from uh, from the previous season. So, you know, that certainly explains, or it's a, a likely explanation as to why prior to that in the minors, Urquidy was pretty much a, a pedestrian pitcher in terms of strikeout rate and really just overall. And then in AA and AAA that the strikeout rate just surged uh, more than 10 per, uh, per nine innings at both levels and then, you know, gets to the major leagues and still puts up some pretty good numbers, if not quite as good as he did in the minors. Uh, but it's just 41 innings that we saw from Urquidy as an Astro. So DVR, how, how much does that uh, cause you to maybe discount Urquidy? I know you've got drafts coming up uh, whenever baseball resumes. 
when uh, you're, you're looking at your draft queue and, and Urquidy's rising towards the top, how much do you maybe discount him versus some other pitchers, more experienced pitchers, because of that limited sample? It's one of those things that I've really struggled with because you want to believe the skills that you saw from any player throughout the minor leagues. And I think good control is something we can pretty safely say that Jose Urquidy has. And even prior to reaching AAA last season, I kind of would say that he had the ability to keep the ball in the ballpark too. Like that, I think that's a skill. And I think he owned that skill until he got to AAA. And as we know, AAA for the Astros is in the Pacific Coast League, which is hitter-friendly all the time. And they use the Major League Baseball, which made it way more hitter-friendly than usual, uh, which is saying a lot. So I'm struggling because I don't know if there's a real home run issue there. My inclination is that there's not, that the good control he's shown really over five seasons now throughout all of his different stops in the Astros system, that looks real to me. And as you mentioned, with the velo being up last season, that makes me think that the strikeout gains we saw are somewhat real. Like a 32% K rate at AAA, that might not be close to what we get at the big league level. But I think he could at least be sort of an average strikeout rate sort of guy, 24, 25% K rate, which with his ability to limit free passes really plays up a lot. And we know the Astros manage pitching really effectively. So this is a guy who I like quite a bit. And another reason I really like him is that he throws four pitches for strikes. He's not a two-pitch guy who needs to add the third pitch. He's got four pitches already, and he used all of them almost 10% of the time, like the curveball at 9.8%, slider 17.2, and then uh, the changeup at 257 with the four-seam fastball at 47.3. That's a pretty healthy pitch mix to have the two breaking balls about a quarter of the time combined, the change about a quarter of the time, and the four-seamer almost half the time. Well, I have a feeling you know this. I'm going to come back to that, <laughs> uh, particularly in contrast with your slumping pitcher. But um, I, I want to make the comparison uh, a little more real, uh, make it a little more concrete. So when we talk about somebody who demonstrated a certain skill set, but only over 41 major league innings, and yeah, you can take the minor league numbers and say, okay, well, this is sort of what we would have expected anyway. Uh, but let's take another pitcher with much more of a track record who put up similar numbers, at least rate stats, last year. And that's Herman Marquez, who had uh, a strikeout rate right around 24%, a walk rate around 4 or 5%, uh, and the home run rate just a little bit higher, as you would expect uh, from Herman Marquez, but but fairly comparable to Urquidy's. Um, now, Marquez is going, uh, so far, about 20 spots uh, before... Urquidy is does does that mean that uh, Urquidy maybe is a relative value compared to Marquez or because Marquez has the greater track record and in fact last year was maybe a slightly off season for him uh, is that maybe a, a value then for Marquez vis-a-vis Urquidy I think it probably points me to the side that Urquidy is actually a relative value because you're getting comparable skills at a lower price and you're not dealing with the possibility or maybe a likelihood even that the home starts are coming in Colorado. I mean, we might get a season where everything's played in Arizona and Herman Marquez and the Rockies pitching staff avoid Coors for 2020. That could happen. And that makes Herman Marquez a lot more interesting to me if it does. 
I don't think we're far enough into the process where that's the most likely outcome just yet. So that would make me more inclined to look at Urquidy as a guy who gets to pitch in Houston for half his starts and say, even though the track record is shorter, organization is, is one that I trust more. Ballpark is a lot safer and skills are pretty comparable even to what we saw from Herman Marquez in the upper levels of the minor leagues too. Like he, I think one thing I lost sight of with Herman Marquez is how good his control was in the upper levels of the minor leagues before he made that debut with the Rockies in 2016. Yeah, and so there's certainly uh, a level of trust with that. But you know, you brought in a lot of different factors there, and you're willing to give Urquidy uh, some benefit of the doubt because of some other things that, that work in his favor. Uh, but let's go on to uh, Denelson Lamette. Now, you talked about Urquidy and the, the four-pitch mix, and that certainly is something that, uh, in addition to the other things you mentioned, uh, make him uh, attractive at, at uh, the price that he's been going at. Uh, Lamette, and we've talked about this with Chris Paddock too. Lamette is pretty much fastball slider, very reliant on the slider. Uh, last season, threw it a little bit more than forty percent of the time, and actually looked at starting pitchers with at least seventy innings. Uh, that's a, a threshold that Lamette just barely cleared last season. Uh, starting pitchers seventy innings minimum that use the slider forty percent or more often. And so there was Lamette, there was Jaime Berea, Yu Darvish, and Jake Junis. Hmm. That's the tweet. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it's a small group with uh, really varying results and also varying uh, velocities, which might correlate. I don't know. It's a small group, so it's hard to say. But uh, is that something that, uh, as a Lamette owner, makes you a little bit nervous? I think the thing that makes me the most nervous about him is probably the, yeah, the consistent lack of a third pitch. And it's strange because I think when you look at StatCast, the way StatCast tracks his pitches, it splits his four-seamer and his sinker as separate pitches, even though it might just be slight differences in spin. Uh, his slider must be pretty slurvy because it sees a curveball in, in that sort of breakdown. And I, I don't know I don't know if there's enough command to actually refine those pitches in a way that does make them look different by design if that makes sense like is this accidentally happening or is this something that he's consciously doing with grips that are are giving that pitch slightly different looks because if it's the latter then it might be a two pitch scenario where he's kind of got four and that's really odd right Uh, but I think the other problem that I look at with Denelson Lamette is that he walks a lot of guys and maybe because he was coming off Tommy John last year we can give him a little bit of a pass and say, hey, look, the, the control should be better than it was in his first year back from surgery. There aren't a lot of pitchers out there who are going to strike out 33% of the batters they face. Um, I'm looking at him, and I, I see a range of outcomes kind of similar to what you put out there. I, I, if I look at leaderboards and I find guys that have K rates that high with walk rates that high over similar volumes of innings, I see names like Chris Archer. And I think about how often Chris Archer has disappointed fantasy owners with you know high expectations for him. Robbie Ray is that kind of pitcher. Uh, Peak Ubaldo Jimenez may have been that kind of pitcher. It's a really odd group of names. Yu Darvish has been a high strikeout, high walk rate guy who has reached a level in the second half of 2019 that I don't think anybody thought he could reach. He's just he stopped walking guys. So you have this really wide range of comps, guys that never quite figured it out because they couldn't find the third pitch. 
guys that had a lot of weapons like Darvish, who eventually just located more consistently and turned maybe the greatest weakness into one of his greatest strengths. And it leaves me in this place where I say, what side am I betting on? At the price, I don't think I want Denelson Lamette. I understand why people like him. Strikeouts are fun. They're a great category base right on their own. He's probably not going to hurt you there. But is there a chance that Denelson Lamette, even if healthy all season, that he pitches his way out of that San Diego rotation when you think about the quality of the depth they have in that organization and some other young prospects who are knocking on the door to possibly contribute? Well, I, I think this is something, and now DVR, you, maybe you can refresh my memory. I, I think I talked about this in a much, much earlier episode of the show. Uh, maybe it was with Michael Beller. I don't remember, but um, I remember painting a scenario where uh, if the Padres were ready to promote Mackenzie Gore or Luis Patino, that Lamette could arguably be the, the odd starter out. Um, you know, and I, I, again, I wish I could remember who it was I was discussing it with, but uh, whoever it was sort of, um, uh, you know, looked at the alternatives and said, well, don't you think it would, you know, more likely be Zach Davies or, uh, you know, maybe... Um, yeah, I remember. I just remember that Lamette sort of wound up. Joey Lucchese maybe was the other one. Um, so I don't know. I, I still think that that's a that's a possible scenario. Right. I mean, he could end up being maybe their best starter this year. That's in the range of outcomes too. <laughs> that's why people are doing it. But I'm, am I going to draft a guy who isn't necessarily locked into the rotation all year if the performance slides a little bit? Am I going to pay pick one twenty two overall? I mean, that's a late eighth, early ninth round pick in a 15 team league. A lot of other pitchers in that range don't have, don't have a, a lack of certainty regarding role. That's that large. And that's not to say that Lamette's likely to lose his job. It's just for the price. He's a little more risky than I think people are acknowledging. Yeah. And I think that even holds true, obviously not to the same extent, but I think that even holds true with the, the possibility of condensed schedule, larger rosters, expanded rotations, because the Padres do have so much depth. And when you have not only Goran Patino, but also uh, Cal Quantrill possibly knocking on the door there, it's yeah, he's he's not bulletproof uh, by any means. Uh, I, I don't think so. So uh, one more thing to note about our out-of-the-park sim, that the Royals are still <laughs> they're still uh, winning a lot of games. They, uh, I just, uh, as the Astros just took a series from them, although narrowly, uh, Urquidy got blasted by the, the Royals. And uh, the Royals currently have the best record in the American League. So go figure. Uh, let's go back to a little Korea discussion, though. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier, and you gave us the Dan Kurtz, uh, the website, and the uh, Twitter account to follow. But here's something else you should check out from the Athletics' own Eno Saris. Uh, one of his latest pieces, Baseball is Coming to Korea, The Players to Know in the KBO. Uh, good stuff from Eno there. So lots of uh, resources there to get us ready to, uh, to watch some live baseball. Pretty exciting uh, right now. But uh, on that note, let's wrap things up for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15 or give our three-month free trial a whirl. Uh, whichever way you do it, everything that we do is a part of your subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you took the time to do that. 
For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker. We'll be right back here on Tuesday. Mm-hmm.